Alternative Radio. One of the fundamental things when we talk about brewing beer is that during fermentation, we want to keep oxygen out as much as possible. But with brewing, as there is with anything, there's always those exceptions to the rules. So today we have Chino Brews on the show, and we're going to talk about open fermentations today on Homebrewing DIY. Welcome back to Homebrewing DIY, the podcast that takes on the do-it-yourself aspect of homebrewing. Gadgets, contraptions, and parts, this show covers it all. On this week's show, we're going to talk about all things open fermentation. Considering that every time I talk about homebrewing, I'm always like, keep oxygen out. Well, Chino Brews from Reddit is going to come over here and talk to us about how you can do an open fermentation and how you're going to make beer that is going to be great doing an open fermentation. So pretty excited. So stick around for that interview. But first things first, you have to support the show. And that support's going to help this show come to you week after week. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash homebrewing DIY and give it any amount. Your monthly support's going to help this show come to you week after week. Giving as little at the as much as the three dollar level is going to get you ad free episodes as well as a set of homebrewing DIY stickers. So head on over to patreon.com. Another way to support the show is by doing coffee that's ko fi.com forward slash homebrewing DIY. And there you could do a one time support. I did get some one time support on coffee this week, so I want to thank Pat Nearney. He sent us a beer on coffee and so i want to thank everyone who's done so coffee's still kind of a new thing but so far i've actually received 34 beers from coffee so kind of cool so thanks everyone who has given us support also pat has given me a bit of feedback and i will make sure i read that after the interview today Another way to support the show is to head on over and write us a review. So if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, just scroll to the bottom, give us a star rating. That five-star rating is going to help others find the show. And of course, you can head on over to podchaser.com and write a review there as well. Podchaser is a really cool site. Uh, I personally like it because you can build like cool custom playlists of podcasts that you like and share them really easily with your friends. It's, think of it as like the IMDB of podcasts. It's kind of a cool site. So go check out podchaser.com. Very cool. Another way to support the show is to head on over to our website. That's homebrewingdiy.beer. And you can use our sponsor banners. If you wanted to buy a brand new kegerator from Kegco, or if you want to do your shopping at Adventures in Homebrewing, or last buy a brew bag from Brew in a Bag, you can click on those banners and it's going to support the show. So head on over and do that for us. So... 
Now that announcements are done, let's, let's jump into this week's show where we're going to talk to Chino Bruce. He's one of the admins over at Reddit about open fermentations. I'd like to welcome Sachin Darji, or Chino Bruce, as if anybody knows him from Reddit. He's one of the admins over on our homebrewing. Chino, how you doing, man? Hey, great, Coulter. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Well, hey, I want to thank you for, A, all of the years of conversations that we have had online and to finally get, and, and lately we've been talking on the phone, and so I, I love actually getting to really know you in person and, and really appreciate you for coming on the show. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure. We've been talking for years, and to get a chance to talk to you, and I mean, that's what's great about the community is you'll talk to someone for years online, and then to meet them or talk to them is you know one of the amazing things. Uh, it, it's super cool. And just so you know, I see Chino everywhere. I'll be like, you know, talking about ramen somewhere and he'll pop up and be like, hey, I know you guy. And I'll be like, hey. <laughs> it's, it's just kind of, yeah. The, the, oh, some random. Oh, man. I made ramen last night. It was delicious. Well, I, I actually asked you on the show because I want you have a lot of experiments going on right now having to do with open fermentations and open fermentation is something that I've done a little bit of. I don't think the way that you do it and I want to know more. Right. And so I, I think that we'll start off a bit. Let, let's just talk a bit about your brewing background and how you started. And then let's just dive into open fermentation. So how'd you start home brewing? How'd you get into it? Cause you've been doing it for a while. Yeah, I started brewing around 1995, and I mean, really, it was on a lark. I had a friend who was headed down to Northern Brewer, and I think they just opened their store, their original store in St. Paul, and at that point, it was just a tiny storefront. And I tagged along because, you know, hey, I love beer, and I was drinking a lot of it, and um, it was a chance to try to make something that was like these these microbrews that we were hearing about and some of them were starting to trickle into this market and we were drinking a lot of microbrews so started with an extract porter kit and um here i am and you know i brewed for about five or six years at that time and took a long break and then i think i started back up again about eight years ago 2012 awesome and and you do a lot of of these kind of open fermentations and you've sent me some photos of them. And when I say open fermentation, we mean open fermentation. And so how'd you get into that and what made you start doing that? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, as you know, um, and, and many people know me know, I love English beers. And so that was kind of the first brick in the wall, so to speak, that that kind of built this house. And, uh, you know, many of the English beers are open fermented. Um, and, you know, I, I was trying to make a, a German Weiss beer, Hefeweizen, actually, at the time, and wasn't really having a lot of success. I think I'd you know, no success, maybe tried two different ones and they were just kind of not very good. And I thought I needed to research it. So I was kind of reading Eric Warner's Wheat Beers book and Stan Hieronymus's Bring It the Wheat. And I was like, ah, I think I've got it. Like you got out the right yeast, but they've got this thing called the rule of 30 where you pitch at a combination of um, your pitching temperature and fermentation temperature should equal 30. So 13 degrees Celsius, 17 degrees Celsius, that's about 55 to 63 and 63 for Americans. Um, that's supposed to get you that 
fermentation character you want, and they do open fermentation. So I was kind of thinking about that, and right around that time, I saw a video from Sierra Nevada where it's like a 90-second video where they show how they make Bigfoot. It's like this big steel open tank. In fact, there's like three or four tanks, I think. And, you know, this foam is rising, and like this croissant, and it's like falling, and um, this big time-lapse video is pretty cool. Um, I'd also seen Jeremy King on the Brewing TV. It was episode four, so I'll bet a lot of your listeners have seen this one if they're doing these sequentially. Um, talking about open fermentation, I said, you know what? Let me try it. And so I borrowed a hotel pan, as they call it. So, um, these these trays you see in steam tables where they've got the food, like the full-size deep one. And I made something like four gallons of vice beer and pitched a um, just a rocking, croisoning, um, starter and it was great and I was kind of hooked then and so so like you're talking like a pretty flat like ho- hotel pan that can fit four gallons right so you're thinking like uh, like a full pan but then that's pretty spread out that's got a lot of contact to air right yeah absolutely so we're talking about you know once you put the beer in there it's like pretty shallow depth and and really wide and I mean really that 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 video from Jer- by, with Jeremy King on Brewing TV was really inspirational because they take in what – if you've ever seen like a really long like fish cutting station, it's like basically it's like gigantic, long stainless steel sink. And I assume there's a drain in it or something. And he was fermenting an American pale ale using California ale yeast, so the you know, WLP001. And it looked like it was like you know four to six inches of beer in there. I'm just – it's wide open. And I mean, the whole idea to me was just crazy. You know, it's like, who, who does that? Because, you know, we, we always hear about, well, you got to, you know, put an airlock in a bung and, you know, keep the air out of it. And this idea that our, our beer needs to be somehow hermetically sealed has been kind of ingrained in us. And I think nothing is further from the truth, um, you know, depend, depending on your techniques and yeast strain. But if we think about history, you know, were, were beers hermetically sealed? I'm not sure homebrew in the 19, you know, like talk about uh, prohibition time or, you know, um, any of the um, kind of pre-Charlie Papazian days, if if those beers were, were, um, you know, hermetically sealed at all. So it really required rethinking to me of what are we being told that's really true and what is out there just because somebody thought that was the way to do it and it just got repeated in the echo chamber. Yeah, and and it's kind of like obviously, I've had people like Brian Rabe on the show from Low Oxygen Brewing, who's probably completely opposite when it comes to thinking about oxygen in his beer, and not not that anybody. The big thing for me when it comes to brewing is there's no right or wrong way. If you make great beer, you make great beer, and so for me, it's something where there are there's all different schools of brewing when it comes to what's right and what's wrong. And to me, I don't think we should say it's what's right and what's wrong. It should be, this is how I get the results that I get. Would that be a yeah, better way works. to put it? Yeah. yeah what yeah, works for right. me? I mean, right. And, and it's funny. I'm kind of laughing when you talk about Brian, because so Brian, and I are your fellow homebrew club, homebrew club members. And so, you know, we're almost diametrically opposite where, I mean, I make beers that a lot of times have just intense exposure to oxygen. Um, you know, not always, but many of these. And and he's, you know, Mr. Uh, low Oxygen. So, 
Yeah, and, and just so you guys know, they're in the same homebrew club. So you see that I, I can only I can only imagine your debates. <laughs> so no, Brian, Brian's a great guy, and I think you He's know, a great guy. I, 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 it makes amazing beer, and you know, I, I think we you know we share beer, so something's working there. Yep, and just so you know, he's tasted your beer and hasn't uh, hated it yet, right? <laughs> <laughs> as far as I know, yeah. <laughs> so, so now let, let, let's talk about like you know, not every style is probably the right fit for an open fermentation. If you were to say, "All right, I'm a brand new brewer," because you know, generally, who's listening to this podcast are people that are are going to be uh, a kind of newer brewer. I'm, I'm gathering information about some styles I want to make. What, what would you recommend as a, a good way to get into open fermentation and what styles of beer do you think are the best fit for it? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so, so in terms of styles, I think I would really allow that to be yeast-driven. And so I think what's clear is that there's certain yeasts that, that – and, and let me back up here. So when we, when we think about domesticated strains of brewing yeast, I like to think of them as every, every one of these strains that you get that comes in at you know, White Labs or Imperial or Y-Yeast Package, that came from a brewery somewhere, right? And yep. over tens of thousands of batches, it adapted itself to the conditions in that brewery. Like what's the temperature? Um, at what time are they harvesting the least, cropping it, repitching it? All that stuff kind of made its way into the the genetic and, and kind of physical makeup of that yeast. And that's why you get a yeast like, you know, an English strain like 1968, and it performs completely different than the American ale strain, right? And so likewise, what I've been looking for are strains of yeast that are adapted for open fermentation. And so it starts there. And, you know, really, it, it, the strains are fairly wide ranging. And so I, I like to think about, you know, what, what's out there commercially, which is made in open fermentation. So Pilsner or Kell, you know, the, the, the Ur Pilsner, the classic Czech Pilsner, right, is an open fermentation beer. Um, many English beers... Um, especially the ones that are made in Yorkshire squares, Timothy Taylor, Black Sheep, the, these famed beers um, from, from England, the Ringwood strains. These these were the first craft beers in the United States, probably, when when the Ringwood system was brought over here. And this is a kind of a, a British multi-strain of yeast, and there was somebody from England who traveled around teaching people how to brew in in the Northeast, as well as throughout this area of the Midlands in, in England, I believe it's in the Midlands. The Weiss beers are all traditionally open fermented. Um, there are many Belgian beers, and some of them move now to your typical cylindroconical fermenters, but you know the yeasts um, initially were, were fermented in somewhat open fermenters, and you know they look like it's a big round vat, and they're kind of open on the top, or at least two-thirds or, or one-third two-thirds are open and they've got a little chute where when the yeast starts overflowing it just kind of flows down the chute um and then sierra nevada bigfoot i mentioned in that video that was a surprising one but there's one that just open fermented so i don't think the styles are really limited um and, and i'll come back to this one later but russian river um their uh their famous beer pliny the elder open fermented and that's something i just learned preparing for the show so that was surprising to me yeah that is and and think about this 
the last two that you just mentioned, Sierra Nevada and Pliny the Elder, these are really hoppy beers, right? These are not the kind of beers people always talk about, you know, oxygen and hops. Oxygen is the the flavor killer when it comes to hops. You're going to hear this over and over again. Heck, you've probably even heard it from me. But the point is, is that these are open fermented beers. I've had a Bigfoot that was from 2010 and was still hoppy as hell. And so it it is something where it's really surprising to hear these really hop forward, hoppy beers are open fermented. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think what that means is, is, you know, something, you know, we learn all the time. There's more than one way to get to a place when it comes to brewing. Yeah. I, I, I think I agree with that. So, Walk me through like what you think scientifically is kind of going on with open fermentation versus this closed fermentation. What, what, and and it do, you don't need to come at it like you are a scientist. Just like what do you think is happening? What do you think the process is and why it works? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely not a yeast scientist, and you know, even though you know, cl- clearly, you know, I'm someone who's very into brewing and, and learning about yeast. Well, okay, so I, I actually give a quote. For, I'll mention it for the last time, but Jeremy King, he just had this amazing quote in that in that Brewing TV episode, where he said, um, and he's talking about doing this fermentation with California ale. So this is your typical Sierra Nevada Chico yeast, right? Um, yeah. And he was specifically using WLP001. He says, um, and so he's pointing to this this big, you know, gigantic stainless steel sink, effectively, that's about, you know, eight feet long. He said, and he says, it is not like any other California ale fermentation I've ever smelled. It tends to be a rather subdued yeast and very clean and relatively neutral. This is anything but neutral. The fruit smell there is quite overpowering. And... You know, that, that was the thing. I mean, something clicked for me. It's like, wow, you know? And, you know, what, what I observe is when you make a beer using a top-cropping yeast, these are the yeasts that tend to create those really thick croissant, or like the English call it barm, that, that layer of foam on top. Um, they, when, when they're left open to the air, they just kind of seem to thrive. The, the foam is thicker. Um, and you get aromas for, that you're never going to get from an airlock. I mean, for you airlock sniffers out there, you've got to try open fermentation at least once. And I think what's happening is that these yeasts really have high demand for and, and love and need oxygen. So the ability to kind of have this, this fermenter that's not, you know, it doesn't have a lid. Um, it's not covered in any, sen- any, any sense. It's, you know, I, I personally use a bucket. Um, generally use a bucket with no lid on it. Um, and they've got access to the air and oxygen and the CO2 is drifting away. And in that initial period, it just leads them to to um, begin fermentation faster, to complete the fermentation faster, and to create this ester character that I just don't get if I make the same beer with that same yeast, um, try to replicate all the other like pitching rate and everything, but in a you know, a plastic carboy with the, a bung and an airlock. Yeah, and it's funny how when, as you say it, it makes sense, specifically with these kind of top-cropped yeasts, right, is that could be part of the behavior is because they're so oxygen-intense. Um, and this is just me thinking out loud, but the idea is that it just, as you say that, it, it makes a lot of sense to me, right? Whereas, uh, you know, you think about like bottom fermented yeasts, which are tend to be your lager yeasts, for example, they, they're a lot more subdued in flavors and, and some of their 
and, and some of the the esters and and yeast driven things that they produce is just very muted, right? And so uh, it's funny how you say that; it just makes sense. Yeah, I mean, may, may, maybe not giving the these yeast that that crave the oxygen, the, the air and oxygen they need, or or maybe leaving them under you know CO two is is repressing them. I don't know exactly what's going on in terms of their yeast mechanism, but I think the results, you know, they, they really dramatic, and people are able to tell right away. Yeah, and and have you ever done like, hey, I done a closed fermentation of this beer and i've done an open fermentation and tasted them side by side have you, you ever kind of done that as a as you know a that, that that's test? on the list yeah no it's on it's on the list i um you know i i tend to brew smaller batches a 2.75 gallons is my sweet spot and i just haven't gotten around to because that would probably require you know something like six gallons and, and i've got the system to do it but it just you know, sparging and, and more work. It's just not the sort of thing I do on a day-to-day basis. So it's cer- certainly something I'm looking forward to doing. Yeah. And, and it lo- let's talk a bit about, I, you sent me a, a picture today of you doing a New England IPA with an open fermentation. Why don't, why don't you tell me a bit about that beer? Yeah, well, it wasn't intended to be a uh, New England IPA. Um this is one of the situations where we actually postponed recording this show because um, I wanted to have time to brew. And then it's one of those things where, you know, as Mike Tyson says, everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. And I think I got punched uh, four or five times this week. And, and um, among the things, my, my top cropping yeast that I was preparing was, was shockingly not coming back to life. So, and I'd planned to ferment a beer with WLP022. It's one of their specialty, I'm strange from the vault, Essex Ale. And uh, so I find myself kind of in, in need of a yeast and, and I'm kind of looking through my dried, my emergency dried yeast stash and I saw K97, um, which anyone who's done it, they, and they you know, it creates like a big rocky croissant. And I'm trying to think of styles and um, there's a guy locally here who I think he won like five or six medals in a row at one of the prestigious competitions here at the state fair, Minnesota state fair in American pale ale with the yeast. I've got a lot of hops I want, I'd like to clear out. So I started thinking along that line and really what sealed the deal for me was seeing that Pliny the elder being fermented open. So I said, why not? Let's, let's give it a try. I'm not sure if anyone's done something foolish or crazy. I don't know what you want to call it like trying to make a New England IPA with um, an open fermentation, I think it'll be fine. And so this is, you know, fairly standard New England IPA. I think I triangulated between Gordon Strong's recipe and the um, the famous um, Bloodworks Juicy Bits recipe for, out um, from your neck of the woods, right? Yep. Yep, and, well works. Yeah, great beer, great beer. And, um, you know, 10, 1065 something like 55 IBUs, you know, it's got the oats. It's just a classic New England IPA. And, you know, the brew day went well. The plan was, or is actually, so I ferment in a 30 liter bucket, that's eight gallons. And it gives me, compared to your standard six and a half gallon brew bucket, gives me about one and a half times more surface to volume ratio. And uh, so I just kind of pour it in there. I don't feel like I need to oxygenate this wort that much because, it's going to be exposed to the air, right? Um, I've got yeah. a cellar, which, you know, it stays 60 to 68 degrees 
year round, which I think is 15 to 18 Celsius. And um, that's kind of an ideal fermentation temperature. And so I kind of cover it with, I've got a spare brew bag that I use for BIAB bag. So I put it on like a sock upside down over the bucket, just in case there's some insects or something. I don't really have that problem, but you know, it doesn't hurt to be cautious. And um, I literally use a children's tent. So I put the beer bucket inside of one of those nylon pop-up children's tents. And I think I sent you the picture of that. And it's kind of comical. Yeah, it's kind of comical. But again, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to keep, when people are walking in the upper level, um, dust falling from the joists because dust is what carries microbes. And I think it'll probably be fine, but I'm just overly cautious. And so, you know, I think what you need, if you're going to make a beer that's open fermented is, you know, obviously you need to pick the right yeast. We've covered that. You need some sort of open fermenter and the shallower, the better, really. Um, but a brew bucket can work, especially if you reduce the, the um, bat size a little bit. Um, <clears throat> then optionally, that mesh, as I said, to cover the fermenter, it could be some sort of screen. It really could be anything. And I like to think um, that you would want to have a roof if you're going, if you're um, anywhere where dust can float around. And, you know, it could be simple. I started out actually using a, a, a folding card table. And then I just kind of put some like sheer um, like uh, drapery around it just to kind of make sure the air currents wouldn't carry dust in there. But, you know, a pop-up tent, an actual tent, um, children's nylon pop-up play structures. I'm sure, you know, any sort of thing that people can come up with to get creative would work. Um, a hammock, maybe. I'm, I'm not sure, you know. Um <clears throat> So, you know, the plan here is, and this is what I've done in all these, is the first... 12 to 18 hours, I'm going to be stirring this thing fairly consistently every few hours. When I've got time, I'm going to go stir this fermentation. And this kind of replicates what they do in the commercial breweries, where if you go to a place that's got Yorkshire Squares, they'll literally have a pump that'll pump the wort from the bottom of the, or the beer from the bottom of the fermenter and kind of bring it up on like a gooseneck and then splash it back into the middle. On, in, the, in the German Weiss beer, squares it's a bit more kind of sedate where but they're still recirculating and so i'll kind of stir that to make sure i'm getting some good mixing um one of the optional things you can do is this is like a choice you've got to make do you do you skim or not skim and so certainly on the the german side they believe that you need to skim the first two risings of yeast of of the the kreuzen which they call they call that the the brown hefe if I'm saying that right, which I think means burnt yeast, it's the, it's the brown kind of, the, the, the hops are kind of coming up and it's kind of scummy. And then the third one will be, kind of be more of a rocky white type of croissant, which you leave. And so what I'm going to do now is, you know, we're at just about the 24 hour mark. I'm going to be watching this t until the croissant starts falling down. And that's the point at which I want to transfer that beer because I, that, that layer of yeast that's protecting is not going to be there anymore. I'm going to transfer it into a secondary. And really, this is one of the few times I'd recommend a secondary. In my case, I've got a keg with the dip tube cut off, but I've used carboys before. So hopefully that gives some idea of what the process looks like. Yeah, it does. And and so it let's I now got questions. Okay. So first of all, you you 
this is something where, you know, I would say the number one piece of advice I give to a brand new brewer is leave your beer alone, right? Get it in the fermenter and you're going to ask me all these questions and I'm going to be like, just leave it alone and see what happens, right? Patience. And with this open fermentation, if you're a hands-on kind of guy, the cool thing or, or gal, you, you're now in a position where you're able to get in there and stir it around and kind of uh, skim off some of the, of the, the croissant. And that could be part of the process if you're doing an open fermentation. Quick question, are there certain styles you would skim? Are there certain styles you shouldn't skim? What, what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's a good question. I mean, think so. So I did skim the vice beer that I made. That you know, I, I was really happy with it, just because I, I'm I'm reading what the traditional Bavarian brewers are saying, and I had no reason at that time to to go a different way. Since since then, I have stopped skimming, and you know, part of it is just informed by the types of beer I make. I'm I'm, you know, someone who makes session beers. I love English beers. There aren't a lot of hops in this beers and but the hop character is still part of the beer and the thing about vice beer is i mean these are hop very low right like 12 to 15 ibu and by the time vice beer is done it's not it's not a hoppy style right it's not at all not at all yeah so i I don't know if that's got something to do with it and so i haven't felt like just stirring the croissant in as opposed to skimming it has really hurt these these english styles of beer and i've made um English bitters of a couple of different levels, dark two or three of those, dark milds three or four of those. Um, but but I would say, I but I would say that English style of beers, though being low alcohol generally, specifically if you get into like you know bitters and 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 milds and things like that, but they are still got a a bit of hot punch to them, and specifically on the bitter side, right? So. I feel like even though their IBUs may be lower than you would get in a traditional American style IPA, I still feel like for the amount of alcohol that's in those beers, they're still fairly hoppy. Wouldn't you agree with that? No, no, for sure. And I think I think that's you know if, if I if I had to set a rule right now, that that's kind of what what my my deciding point is is well, is this a hoppy beer or not? But you know, again, I think what's really cool about this whole idea is there hasn't been a lot of exploration of open fermentation at all. You know, we've, Specifically at the homebrew level, there really hasn't. There really hasn't. And so there's so many things we can explore, and it, it, it's wide-open territory. If you're, if you're somebody who likes to do something which is new and go discover things, I think there's so much to discover in this arena. And... You know, I hope people do, and they'll report back to us and tell us. You know what? This this is, you know, empirically, I, I believe this is what's going on. These are the techniques that are really improving. You know what? You know, is at this point pretty rudimentary process. Yeah, I agree. Um, I I, w- I want to say if you were talking about the the English beers that you have made. What what's your favorite one you've done with an open fermentation to date? Well, my fa- my favorite yeast to date so far has been um, Y yeast fourteen sixty nine, the Timothy Taylor. I think it's uh, called West Yorkshire. Um, it, it's just an amazing yeast, and it just really 
seems to blossom. I mean, I, I, it's a great yeast when you use it in a traditional homebrew setting, but it just really seems to flourish when it's done in open fermentation. And so I've made a Timothy Taylor clone. And this is a beer that multiple times has won champion beer of Britain, um, as well as I've got a dark mild recipe that I've perfected over the years. And, you know, to, to, to me, and I want to do these side by side, but to, to me, the character I get, it's just really a craveable beer. And, you know, it, it, it brings me back to the times I've been lucky enough to have some of these beers in, uh, you know, off of cask in an English pub. Yeah, and, and when you think about it, uh, even a beer that is on cask, right? And traditionally, if we think about the wooden cask days of, of, of hand-drawn beer engines, there was oxygen permeating those casks all the way back then. And those beers obviously have lived on for centuries. Yeah, no, for sure. There's a lot There's a lot for us to kind of rediscover. So, yeah. I, I, I agree. I, I think that it's kind of, you know, to get into the, the before I start getting emails from people that are long and, and tell me how everything I say is wrong, it's okay. The, the point I'm trying to make is that I, I am more of, and this is just a, a personal thing with me and beer, is that I am curious about all aspects and those different methods, even though they're the same. So like, for example, I make a lot of English ales as well. They're definitely some of my favorite styles. Uh, when it comes to a brewery, one of my favorite local breweries here is Hogshead that does actually hand-drawn beer engines, which is so good. And I have a, for, for me, when I think about English beers, they always have this like multi hoppy backbone and I'm, and I am surprised at how many are actually done as open fermentations. One thing that I do get and I've asked people about is like, Oh, you know, this is made as an open fermentation. Why don't you do it at a homebrew level? And here's the answer you usually get, which is, you know, at an industrial scale, they're just throwing off so much more CO2 than you would at a homebrew level. And so therefore an open fermentation doesn't necessarily mean it's not sealed. What would you say to somebody who's kind of saying it that way? Yeah. I think, I think it's true that particularly if you look at some of these pictures of the Belgian breweries and, and the, these Bavarian breweries, I mean, they're beautiful and there's like stainless steel and tile and um, they, they look like clean rooms, you know? Yep. And um, they, they do exchange the air, but they're doing it through HEPA filters or you know, whatever sort of filtration they've got. Um, and then you go to some of these English breweries and they were built in Victorian times and, you know, um, you've got open rafters and and uh, sometimes they're using wooden tons even, you know, yep. R- Russian oak, memel oak tons. And, and I, again, the, the, the diversity of the world of beer is just, you know, it's it's astonishing and, uh, you know, just just really delightful. Yeah. And, and I think and I think to me, it's like, try it. What, what, it's one batch of beer, right? What, what's yeah. the worst that could happen? Well, I mean, look, yeah, I mean, you're, absolutely, and and you know, there there are people. <laughs> Homebrewing is a funny hobby, because th- th- there are people um, who won't believe what you say, or they'll believe something that someone else said. But there are also people who get really upset if you're making beer different from the way they make it. Yep. Um, yep. And we we saw this with people who like you know when bat sparging started being introduced, it's like oh you can't make good beer that way because you know. 
they're offended that, well, I, I had to spend an hour. I just spent 90 minutes sparging my beard. Like you can't just come along and, you know, swish it around for 10 minutes and call yourself a home brewer. But brew in a bag. And, yeah, brew in a bag. That's a like great, yeah, great yeah, example. Like, <clears throat> and yeah. so some of the stuff I hear, you know, um, I mean, to me, they're misconceptions, but again, you know, it's until this becomes facts, fact-based, it's my opinion, you know, beers, it needs to be hermetically sealed. Something every new and intermediate brewer has drilled into them. Um, yep. Hey, well, I'm doing an open fermentation because, uh, you know, I, I heard Drew Beecham say, I need to put a foil cap on my Saison. That's an open fermentation. It's like, well, yeah, sort of, but we're talking about something completely different. Yeah, um, we're talking, we're talking about like open to the air, You've got a screen over the top of it so a bug doesn't fly in. But other than that, this thing is, like, open. Yeah, right, right. Um, you know, your beer will be infected, you know? It's like, just just, just look at these Belgian brewers with their cool ships. It's like, well, again, you know, I'm not, I'm not leaving it outdoors overnight unpitched. Um, you know, it's it's d- different methods, different results, you know? And then the other one, yeah. oh, you'll oxidize your beer for sure. And, I mean, try it. I mean, it's, it's something that you have to try and see, but clearly there are a lot of people around the world, you know, commercial brewers as well as home brewers who are not oxidizing their beer. And again, we've got, you know, examples like Bigfoot and Planet of the Elder that we can look at as some sort of proof that you'll be okay. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and I, I always like to go back to, uh, you know, I come from a Italian immigrant family that moved to Eastern Utah randomly and was mining coal. And in the basement of my grandfather's house is a 25 gallon crock that he used to make beer in. And it was a family tradition and it was something that they did. They made beer, they made wine. They used the same crock to make the beer and the wine. They made it 25 gallons at a time and it was all an open fermentation. That is so cool. Yeah, and trust me, the yeast came in a brick, I'm sure, that was definitely not hermetically sealed like yeast is today, right? And so, the but the idea is that these are how these traditional people that have always made, you know, alcoholic beverages at home have done it. It's only been since probably the 80s or 90s that we're at a place where everything has to be sealed, and that's the only way you can homebrew. So yeah. But. Yeah, I mean, for sure. And I, I think that we fall into the trap that, you know, well, we have iPhones, so people before us must have been stupid. And it's like, <laughs> oh, they, they, they had no taste, right? Yeah. It's like, no, I mean, you know, re- relative to the technology that they had at the time, th- these people were, you know, um, innovative and, you know, extremely intelligent and, and, you know, and they had good taste. They understood, you know, e- even in the 15 and 1600s, people understood the difference between smoky malt and, and, uh, high quality malt. And, you know, which is like you know, one of the old myths that is perpetuated, right. That, that, yeah. you know, that we did, we did, they did, people didn't have good beer back then. They understood. And, you know, likewise, I think that people like your, your grandfather, I mean, I think they understood quality and, you know, whether they're able to achieve it is something that probably depended on, on, you know, their skill and effort that they put into it. But the thought, let's not believe that, that you they know. were making it during the great depression. I think they were drinking whatever they wanted. <laughs> <laughs> value too it does it does i but to me it's like you know it's the great depression you're gonna make beer it's it's probably just how it is and i don't know just 
It, but it's funny to me, and this is just a personal thing. Uh, I, I think I remember seeing like an old Honeymooners episode or, or it was like a show from like the, you know, the 40s or 50s. It was like on television, right? Black and white. And there was like an actual one where a guy's like, oh, I'm going to make beer. And he like makes beer. And the whole process of making beer, he like shows up with hops in a paper bag. He shows up with yeast that's like in a block that's not wrapped in anything. It's in a paper bag, right? And he's making beer and this thing's just chugging along and just spitting off, you know, Croissant the whole time. But, but, you know, it, that's how beer was made at the homebrew level for a really, really, really long time. And I could tell you right now that in 1975, when people were making beers generally in open fermentation, people were making good beer. And probably with lower quality ingredients that they, you know, considering like the amount of variety that we have today at a homebrew shop, I'm sure they had much less that they had to choose from and probably were still making fine beers. So, yeah, I mean, for sure. And I I think there's no reason that, you know, an enterprising listener who wants to get into this into this could couldn't do it with, you know, the equipment they have or very minimal investment and you know, probably end up with the great result and a good story. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I'm going to say this right now. Uh, you know, if you're listening to the show and you want to do an open fermentation, I, I'd love it if you did. Shoot me an email. I'll probably end up doing one just because I, I'm, I'm geeky like that. But the idea is, shoot me an email. I'd love to hear what your experience is with open fermentations. I, I'd love to hear that feedback. Uh, we'll read it on the show. Uh, another thing is, is uh, uh, Chino, you you sent me an entire list of yeasts that do well under open fermentations. I'm going to post that on the show notes. So make sure you head over to homebrewingdiy.beer and check out the show notes. I'll have the list of those. I'm going to post the link that of the video you've talked about for uh, for Bigfoot, where they're doing that, and you can see the open fermentation for Bigfoot is here in Nevada. And I'm actually even going to post the photos Chino sent me of his open fermentation so you can kind of get an idea <laughs> of what it looks like to brew beer under a child's tent. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, I yeah. mean, that, that, list, that list of, if you, you know, you strain something I've, um, I, I've been accumulating and, you know, th- these are known top croppers. And, you know, it, it still bears exploring as to which one of these, my guess is all of them are going to be different, but which ones of these are really giving you unique and, and enjoyable character being open fermented versus just in a traditional closed fermenter. Um, but, you know, I, I've tried five or six of these and, you know, I, I think that they all seem like really good prospects, but we certainly know that they're top croppers. So, hey, b- b- the first battle is already won. Awesome. And then just so you know, uh, you know, so please go there, check these out. And if you have any experience with those, please let me know. And, uh, just so you know, uh, Chino, if I, if I were, if I were a new home brewer and I wanted to ask you a question about open fermentation, do I just find you on Reddit? Is that the best place? Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, I, I'm always available there. So my handle there is Chino. C-H-I-N-O underscore brews, B-R-E-W-S. And I'm a moderator there and, and uh, you know, usually online. So love, love to answer questions about this and get more people into trying home, open home, you know, home brewing and open fermentations. Yep. I, I, I agree. I think that just trying all different methods and seeing what happens is always experimentation. That's, that's what makes home brewing great. 
I, that that's my favorite part of it. So yeah, right on. Awesome. So uh, yeah, head over to Reddit. Uh, dot com forward slash r forward slash homebrewing chino will be there chino underscore brews head to homebrewing diy dot beer and check out our show notes if you want to get a list of those yeasts and chino thank you so much for being on homebrewing diy we're, we're definitely going to have you back because uh, we talk too much to not so <laughs> yeah no i mean it's it's <laughs> for sure and you know, this is one of my favorite podcasts and it's really an honor to finally get to be on and uh you know so thank you well, I thank you so much for the support and, and always giving me great feedback. So I, I really appreciate it. All right. And we're back and we're going to dive into some feedback and then we'll wrap this show up. So first piece of feedback that I have this week is from Pat Nearney. And as you remember earlier, Pat was somebody who supported us through coffee. That's coffee.com forward slash homebrewing DIY. He also shot me an email separate of his support. And I'd like to read what he said in his email. He said, hi, I love the show. I listen in, in Bristol, UK. The editing is fantastic. And the episodes really deliver within the time. I know you guys love homebrewing DIY. I can't seem to find projects on your website. Maybe I'm looking in the wrong place. One DIY project I would be interested in hearing about is creating a cold crash balloon to prevent O2 in the suckback during cold crashing. Best witches, Pat. So, yeah, I, I've never really done a specific episode on the balloon for the cold crash. Uh, I have done an episode during the 3D printing episode where we talked about the 3D printed jar that is pr that can be used pretty similarly, right? For example, uh, Brian and I speak about that specifically. He was like, yeah, you could do that. You could fill the keg and then you could just slip the balloon on and it would work. But we, we did talk about it a bit, but I've not dedicated a whole show to it. I think maybe considering this is the opposite of what I just did this show on, and maybe that's something I could do is just have an entire show on coal site oxidation. I think that that might be something to talk about when it comes to just trying to prevent the suck back with the cold crash because we've all done it. I, I know that personally early in my, my brewing career, I guess you would call it. I've had times when I've made the mistake of leaving my blow off tube and cold crashing and sucking in an entire thing of star sand into my beer and diluting it. I've also done where I've just sucked back pure air. So yeah, totally have made that mistake a few times, but in all reality, it's pretty simple. All you got to do is get a balloon and you're going to attach that balloon you, you could even just take a Mylar balloon and just as you're still at the last little bit of your fermentation, fill that Mylar balloon from your blow-off tube, if, if you use a blow-off tube, which I do. And once it's filled up, then you cold crash, it's just going to suck what's in that balloon, in, which is pure CO2. So uh, that, that would be my recommendation for doing it. And the reasons to do it are obviously so that you don't suck in either sanitizer. Some people put vodka in their airlocks. Or, or just suck in air, and you don't want to do those. So that those are some ideas that you have for that specifically. Next piece of feedback I have is actually a review. This was a review I just recently received. This was from 
Decker had. And this is on Apple Podcasts. So thank you so much for writing us a review. It is a five-star review. And it says, you will learn something. Love the podcast. You're going to learn something by listening to this podcast. The content is interesting. It doesn't drag. And it's the right amount of time and not too long and not too short. Just perfect. Give it a listen. Well, thank you so much, Decker Hat. I, I do try to keep our show around an hour. That's yeah, kind of my shot. I, I'd... Re- I feel like 47 to 57 minutes is like the sweet spot. So thank you so much when we talk about the time and length of the show. Sometimes, though, I will admit I get into a good conversation. I'm going to let them go. So I, I think that that's also very, very, very important. Well, thank you so much for writing us a review. And thank you so much for obviously helping others find the show. All right. Let's... I guess it's, you know, after feedback, we, we've done our interview. I guess it's time to wrap this show up, and we'll talk to you all next week. I'd like to thank Chino for taking the time to come on the show and talk to us about open fermentations. I think I'm definitely going to do one and check it out. And when I do, I'll talk about it on the show. You know, you can also find us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all under at homebrewingdiy. Give us a follow. And when you do, send me a message. I I love hearing that you listen to the show. Well, that's it for this week. And we'll talk to you next week on Homebrewing DIY.